Hey, Merry Christmas resonate. Man, Merry Christmas to you. So glad that you're joining us today. And if you are online, hey, online family, wherever you're dialing in from, hey, welcome. Welcome to the space. And of course, our beloved campus in Hayward and in Oakland, shout out to you. We love you guys. And so glad that we are one church in multiple locations, and we're just trying to grow. We're trying to have lots of babies. And we are trying to get as many places as we possibly could go because we believe we have the best news. And I have the great privilege of being able to share that good news to you. Uh, We are uh, at the tail end of our series called Carols, where we're actually studying um, some Christmas carols that we are familiar with. And many of us, we shop at Target and Walmart. We hear these songs and we're familiar with them, but do we really understand them? And so today we're looking into one of the most famous Christmas carols to which we will sing after at the end of this service, and that is... Hark, the herald angels sing. Now, many of us, we don't understand Old English, so we don't know what hark means, but we sing it anyways. Hark means to listen, listen. And this is an important message for us all because the writer actually is afraid that we might miss something about this glorious news. It takes us back when their shepherds and the angels spoke to them, and it was through the shepherd's voice that the author and the lyricist of this song actually is speaking to us. And as we are considering all the voices and all the noise that we hear during Christmas season, the shepherds are saying, would you please hark? Would you just listen? Because they're afraid that you might miss the message that they want to share with you today. And so wherever you are and dialing in in all of our campuses, if you would, if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to Luke chapter two? Luke chapter two, and we're gonna read uh, where the shepherds were engaged with the angels and they have a message and the shepherds end up sharing this message And now they're appealing to us to hark and listen. And if you are here or anywhere else, as we read the word of God, we stand for the reading of God's word. So would you please stand if you're able, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And I'll pray once again that the Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than the one that you're about to hear from me today. Luke chapter two, verses eight through 18. This is the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made it known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
That is the word of the Lord for this great Sunday morning, Christmas day, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you please have a seat? You see, we read in this account, shepherds, they actually are overwhelmed by four things that they've experienced. And the shepherds want to know if you will not miss it, if you and I would understand the life-changing message of Christmas, because their lives were forever changed. And if we were to hark and listen, perhaps your life will change as well. So four things. First, the shepherds were amazed that the angels appeared to them, that the angels appeared to them. Now, why would that matter? Because you have to understand the context of shepherds, because I'm pretty sure you and I don't know a friend who's actually a shepherd, because those are like agrarian societies or maybe even old school days in the prairie somewhere where people would be shepherds. If you knew a shepherd back then, you would know this, that they were the lowest class people of the Jewish culture. They were the lowest. In fact, they were the degenerate. They were the uneducated. These jobs as shepherds were only given to children. And if you happen to be an adult who happens to be a shepherd, that means you were a big loser. And you are actually a loser who smelled because why? Because you slept with the shepherds. Shepherds by day, shepherds by night, and they would sleep with the stinky sheep. One time a Bedouin shepherd corralling goats was all bringing the goats into his tent, and one of the travelers looked at him and said, hey, man, that must be awful smelling. How do you do it? And the shepherd said, well, the goats get used to it. (laughs) Why? Because the shepherds were smelly. They were smelly people. And so they weren't welcome in very many spaces and places in their society. In fact, they were so lowly regarded in society that their testimony was not permissible in court. And that's why the angels appearing to shepherds was very important. And it's important to us today. Why? Because while Christmas is a joyful time for a lot of people, can we just confess that many times it's just a reality or a reminder how disappointed life has panned out. And some of us, Christmas actually amplifies a lot of our pain, a lot of our disappointment, that we have this idea of what Christmas should be, and we just only realize that Christmas is not. Maybe perhaps you are dealing with the loss of a parent or a spouse or even a child or a friend, and they're not joining you this Christmas season. You're finally realizing during Christmas when families get together how dysfunctional your family is and how much you love them but yet hate them at the same time. You know, somebody once said, you know, happiness is having a large, tight-knit family, all of whom who live very far, far away. That's what they said, right? And maybe this Christmas you find yourself uncertain about your work situation, maybe about your job. Maybe you regret and you are grieving the choices that your children are making today. Maybe you are struggling in marriage and you're saying, my goodness, it only amplifies our troubles. Perhaps you're a single adult here saying, once again, one more Christmas without a significant other. Whatever it is, these shepherds who encountered the first Christmas came into this moment not feeling awesome about their lives either. So maybe you could relate your life as these shepherds. But see, God wants you to make sure, 
God wants to make sure that you understand and I understand that you are the ones to whom the angels most wanted to give this message. So to you and to me, to all of us in all of our campuses, the shepherds would say, hark, would you listen? Secondly, we see the shepherds were amazed by the magnitude of this birth. The magnitude. They're like, there's something incredible that's happening here. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. Now, angels all throughout the Bible is giving glory to God. You understand that all throughout, you look at the Psalms, you look at Isaiah, you look at the book of Revelation, you see angels constantly praising God. But there's something that's happening right here in this chapter, in this moment, that the angels do that we don't see elsewhere. You know what that is? Do you see it? Notice what the angels declared. They did not declare glory to God. That's not what they did. It says here, according to Luke 2, they said, glory to God in the highest, in the highest meaning that they are at the present spot giving glory to God in the most upward way, with the utmost way to the most significant and weight that they could possibly give to the glory of God. Why? Because God has became, become a baby. That's what they're saying. That deserves not just God glory, but glory to God. Now, this is quite remarkable, you see. When you consider all the things that, that the angels have ever seen. See, they were firsthand eyewitnesses of God's creation. When God created the world. When he said, let there be light. And billions of galaxies and billions and billions of stars burst into existence. Do you know astronomers estimate that there's approximately one thousand billion um, stars in one galaxy. And you know how many galaxies we have? Two trillion galaxies in the universe. So when you multiply both of the numbers and figure out how many stars in the universe, we come up to the sum of 200 billion trillion. You're like, what? You know, when we say billion, million, trillion, you know, it's like kids playing number games. It's like ridiculous. Nobody knows what that means. Billion, trillion, billion, whatever. It's like the word bajillion. You know, the word bajillion is actually a real word in the dictionary. Yeah, we made it up because, man, we just have to get a word, a central word to say, that's a lot of numbers. That's a lot. That is two with 24 zeros behind it. That's a lot. 200 billion trillion. Now, before we get all confused, let me just help you wrap your mind around the significance and the magnitude of this number. Guess how long one million seconds ago was? That was two Thursdays ago, 11 days ago. That's one million seconds ago. Now, how long ago was one billion seconds? One billion seconds. You're like, okay, this is a trick question, so I'm going to throw away out there. Maybe 4th of July? This year, maybe New Year's Day 2023, New Year's. No, it was April of 1992. 1992, where gas was in California $1.05 per gallon. That's amazing, right? Ross Perot was running for president. Okay, okay, seven people laughed because you were alive then. Okay, so rest of you, we have a young crowd here. You're like, what the, who is Ross? What? Don't worry about it. 
There you see, there are a bunch of people that was not even born a billion seconds ago. Now, how about a trillion seconds ago? How long is that? You're like, okay, I'm going to outdo myself here. 1776, the Declaration of Independence. Maybe even further back. Maybe when Jesus was born, the very first Christmas, 2,000 years ago. A trillion seconds ago was 31,000 B.C. Listen, Abraham was from 2000 BC ago. 31,000 BC, that's just a trillion seconds ago. And so when we think about the magnitude of all the stars in the universe, 200 billion trillion stars, just with the word, let there be light, the angels saw that. The angels saw God declare that, and boom, it happened. And they saw a lot of things. And guess what they did that day? They gave God glory. But you know, this time around, they gave God glory in the highest, in the highest. What made them give glory to God in the highest? The lyrics say, veil in flesh, the God has seen. Hail, incarnate deity. Please as men with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And they erupted in praise. They gave glory to God in the highest. The greatest glory that God ever displayed was his decision to come for sinners like you and me. To come and to live among us. To take our place. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Now, why would God do this? The angels wondered, why, why would they do this? You know, the shepherds wondered, well, for sinners like us. Because I think most of us, we're willing to think that we're not perfect. We're not, you know, we make mistakes in life, you know, but we're not all that bad people, right? You understand, we're like, well, for every bad thing we do, we do a couple good things. And so we're pretty good people. And I think we believe in a paradigm of life like that because we believe in what I like to call the bell curve of good and evil, See, on the tail end of the opposite end of the spectrum, we have really good people and really evil people. For instance, we have very few good people. You know, they're amazing people, right? They're very virtuous people. We don't know how they got that way, but they're famous, like Mother Teresa, you know, uh, Nelson Mandela, Billy Graham, uh, Brock Purdy, whatever. You know, they're just, they're like really great people, right? But they are very few and far in between. But on the odd opposite end of the spectrum, there's a very small number of people, the genocidal maniacs, the dictators, the serial killers. They're the epitome of evil, but thank God there's only a few of them, right? We don't know how they became that way. They must have been fatherless. They must have went to public school. <laughs> you know, um, they're probably from Milpitas somewhere. Anyway. <laughs> but the majority of the population, you know, besides the tail end of the spectrum, are like us, right? The bell curve. Like, we're like normal. We're pretty good people. We're not all that bad. Do you know that the Bible has no such paradigm perspective of that? The Bible has no, the Bible knows no such thing. You see, the Bible says there are only two buckets. There's good and there's not good. And there's only one person that is in the good. You know who that is? That's Emmanuel, God with us. That's Jesus Christ. He alone is good. Amen. And everyone else goes into the not so good. That we need a redeemer. We, de we need somebody uh, to save us because we fall short of the glory of God. And even the greatest person, maybe perhaps in the Bible that we see in the New Testament, who wrote most of the New Testament, 
That's Apostle Paul. He himself would say, I know there's nothing good that dwells in me. If Paul says that, man, some humble pie for us. How good are we? If Paul says there's nothing good in me, then there must be nothing good in me and you and us. You know, Sufjan Stevens was an indie rock artist who wrote a song called John Wayne Gacy Jr. And if you know history, you know, he was a serial killer, John Wayne Gacy. He killed 33 people in the Chicago land, and he dressed up as an entertainer to lure lots of children and even some adults and kill them. And, and he, he would hide these bodies underneath his floorboards. That's how he basically reconciled that. And, and the serial killer, he sings, Sufjan sings about it. The last line of his song is just absolutely haunting. This John Wayne Gacy, this evil guy, this serial killer, this terrible person. And the last line goes like this. In my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards of the secrets I have hid. You see, what Sufjan Stevens is saying is that we all have floorboards and we all have secrets and we all hide them and we want nobody to find out. And we all have this radical capacity for evil. And the question is, do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that about yourself? Well, if you don't, C.S. Lewis wants to encourage you. He says this, a moderately bad man knows that he's not very good, yeah? But a thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. This is common sense, really. You understand sleep when you're awake, not while you're sleeping. C.S. Lewis's case is that if you think you're a pretty good person, then you're really bad. And the only reason why you don't know that is because you're sleeping, because you're unaware, you're radically blind to yourself and your soul, that you are hopeless without a savior, you're radically condemned, and you're depraved of a person, and you need Jesus Christ. Well, man, enough beat down. Could I just give you some good news? The good news is this, that God knows everything underneath your floorboards. He knows every single secret. He knows every single shame, but he still came for you. He still came, glorying the highest. He was in his heaven. He was in his throne, and he came for you still, knowing everything that even beyond the things that you know about yourself. He came, and what he did is he lived a perfect life without blemish and sin, and on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin ever committed by every person who would ever believe. God treated Jesus as if he had lived your life so that now he could treat us as if we had lived his life. You see, our sinful life went into his account. That's why he died and he was punished. And that his righteous, perfect life has come into our account. And that's why it will free us. And now we are saved under the righteous robe and protection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And he came for that. The God who created the universe. The angels, they're Minds are blown at that a little bit, but the angels' minds are completely blown when they see God himself becoming a babe, coming to reconcile sinners like you and me. And this is why the lyrics say, Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. He's the prince of peace, not because he, in some general way, brings you a little peace when you're feeling anxious, No, he does far more than that. He brings peace to you because between you and God, between me and God, we have enmity that we're enemies of God. 
And therefore, Jesus came and he gives us the righteous life. He gives us the perfect life because he lived that righteous life. And that's how you and I are healed. Look at Ephesians 2, 5. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's sin, God made us alive together in Christ. And he raised us up, like the song says, risen with healing in his wings is what he says. So in summary, the angels have seen God do some incredible, powerful things, including creating the universe, the expanse with the word of his mouth. But listen, greater than God's power to create the stars is his power to recreate somebody's life who is a wretched sinner who deserves to be separated from him forever. But because he loves us, that simple person, if he repents and receives Jesus and his grace and then faith, they will be healed forever and ever and ever. And God said, there's more power in my words. You are forgiven than when I said, let there be light. You see, let there be light created the universe expanse. And there's more power and you are forgiven to restitch your spiritual souls so that you will be righteous before God. And it's only through the life of Jesus Christ. There's some of us here in this room. I believe it because I've met you. Many of you feel like you're too broken. And this is why many of you just come to Christmas services and rest of your life, not because you're lazy, not because you don't love God, but you're ashamed. You're like, I don't belong in a space like this because I'm not welcome. Could I tell you, friend, could I tell you, brothers and sisters, could I tell you anybody who is in shame, anybody who's hurting, anybody who feels like they don't belong here, could I just tell you God's grace is sufficient for your sin? God's grace is, is far sufficient and there's nothing that you have done in your past or you will do in the future where God's grace cannot cover it. There's nothing you could do that you could exhaust God's grace. Do you believe that? That you cannot out God's grace. Anybody who believes that they could out God's grace is the same person who believes that they could sit under the waterfall of Niagara Falls and drink the waterfall out. You can't. Do you know how I know? Because the waterfall runs 24-7, 365 days a week. And this, it's been running since God created it. And if you sit under and you try to drink all that up, man, it'll never end. Right? You're just going to be washed up. But listen, God's grace is even greater than that. You know why? Because I know this. Because Niagara Falls was created by the hands of God. That means it's finite. You know what's infinite and eternal? God's grace. Why? Because he didn't create grace. That's part of who he is. That's by his nature. That means his nature is eternal. That means his grace is eternal. And his eternal grace is sufficient for you today. Praise God for that. Praise God. Here's the third thing that we see here. The shepherds were amazed by the humility of his birth. They were blown away by the humility. You see, they heard the angels proclaim, you know, glory to God in the highest. And the shepherds are saying, man, if it's the highest, then why is he a baby? Why didn't he come as a glorious king with a staff and some weapons and some crazy abilities? Why, why, did, he, why did he come in a manger? Why, why didn't he come and be born in, in a majestic royal throne room of a big temple or a king's castle or whatever? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. The lyrics say this. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them Second birth. You see, the song says, mildly laid down his glory. 
Do you know how hard it must have been for God to lay down his glory? I mean, think about it. He had all the beauty in the world, all of cosmos, everything that is beautiful, he created. And yet he lays it all down. Man, you know how, how I know that that's incredibly hard? Because I have very little glory, minuscule glory, like a little nugget of glory, a dust of glory, and I have a hard time laying that down. I have a very hard time. A relevant example of that is, you know, each year I get to do the Christmas cards for my family. Yeah, I get to select the photo that goes on there. Some of you have already gotten it and you saw the pictures. Well, I get to create it. I get to determine which picture goes on there. And so every year I'll peruse through all the family photos that I have. Inevitably, I will find some good ones, but never one where all five of us are looking awesome, right? Of course, my kids are doing some side glance stuff or they're closing their eyes or I'm not looking my best. And can I tell you, there are photos where my kids are looking great, but when I look at my photo, it's not my potential. And so guess what? That never makes the photo. That never makes the Christmas card, ever. But I'll get a photo where my wife and I look, hey, okay, that's our potential. I'm not going to complain about that. And I look at my kids, and they're like, mm, and their eyes are closed, and they're looking a little janky. I'm like, that's the photo we're going to pick. That's going to be the photo. Why? Why? And my kids are such good. You know, they're like, hey, if they want to do it, they could pay for it and put up their photo. I don't know. But listen. The, the reason why I do that is because I have this morsel of glory and I just can't lay it down. I can't. And you can relate and you won't judge me because you do the same. I'll tell you, every Instagram photo that you put up there, you look at one person and one person alone. That is yourself. <laughs> and this is why. Look at all the glory hog that we are. Look at who we are. We can't lay down even a morsel of glory Jesus laid down his all. Mild he lays his glory by. He comes to earth in a manger. Born that man may no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. And Philippians 2, 6 says, Christ, who though he was in the form of God, think about this, the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The form of God became a form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. You see, this verse is telling us that he didn't just pretend he was a servant. He actually became a servant. He wasn't just playing a servant. This wasn't out of an episode of, you know, like, um, what, an undercover boss. You ever seen those shows where he's still the boss, but he pretends he's a lowly worker in the company, and he, he pretends he's humble, and he relates to everybody else, but that night he gets to go back to his mansion living his ritzy, luxurious life. And that's not what Jesus did here. You realize, let me ask you a theological question. When Jesus became a baby that day on the first Christmas, was he more God or was he more servant? Which one was he more of? And the answer is, he was fully both. He was fully God, but he was fully servant. And I tell you that because to the degree that that day when he came to earth and he was fully still God, fully God, he was to the same degree as he was God, to the same degree that he was servant. He became a servant for us. He laid down his life for us. 
He laid down and emptied himself for us. And this is why Jonathan Edwards, the great pastor and theologian, wrote a sermon called The Excellencies of Christ. And he starts out his sermon by saying, you know, now imagine a great man or a great woman who's altogether powerful, brilliant, rich, wealthy. And have you ever seen a great man or a great woman stop to take their, uh, their uh, advice from a driver, an Uber driver? Or have you ever seen like them go to a sick neighbor and cook a meal for them or sit in sympathy and listen to a problem that, you know, somebody doesn't have their lives together, but they're not very important, but yet treats them as important? I mean, how would you feel about that if you saw it? See, you would feel that that great person is even greater for not acting great, wouldn't you? Right? That that majestic person is even, even more majestic because they're not acting upon their majesty. And yet Jonathan Edwards says that that is just a dim shadow of the reality that we see in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say this, there is an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. There is in him a conjunction of such really diverse excellencies as otherwise would have seemed to us utterly incompatible in the same subject. There do meet in Jesus Christ infinite highness and infinite condescension. He is higher than the king of the earth, for he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is higher than the heavens. So great is he that all men, all kings and princes are as worms of the dust before him. All nations are as a drop of the bucket. He is so high that he's infinitely above any need of us, above our reach that we cannot be profitable to him. And yet, he is one of infinite condescension. None are so low or inferior, but Christ's condescension is sufficient to make a gracious notice of them. His condescension is great enough to become their friend, to unite their souls to him in spiritual marriage. It is enough to take their nature upon him, to become one of them, that he may be one with them. Yeah, it is great enough to abase himself, yet lower for them, even to expose himself to shame and spitting. Such a conjunction of infinite highness and low condescension in the same person is admirable. And the question is, do you admire him? Do you see that admirable? He had the most to lose, and he lost it all for you. The shepherds thought they were amazing. The angels thought they were amazing. Verse four, I mean, fourth point. The shepherds were amazed by being chosen to announce this birth. The shepherds were amazed that they got to be the chosen ones to announce the birth. Because think about this. The only ones that the angels told that night were these lowly shepherds. Everyone else got to hear it from these stinky people, the shepherds. Everybody in town. It was like the mouthpiece of the glorious gospel of this triumphant good news was given to them by stinky shepherds. But then the stinky shepherds got it gloriously from the angels with their first Noels and with all the hallelujahs and with all the enchanted voices praising God. And you might be like, man, that's a little disappointing because if I was in that situation, you know, I would have preferred angels to speak to me instead of some stinky shepherds coming up and saying, hey man, there's some good news because maybe I would have believed it more. But I want to tell you something. In the Bible, from the very first Christmas, God has done something really consistent. And that is this, that God primarily 
the way he speaks his word and his good news is always through broken and flawed people. He's never used anybody else but broken and flawed people like the shepherds to communicate his good news to us. You see, the first time most people ever hear the gospel message is from their family members, their parents, their friends, or their brothers or sisters, or somebody that they know very close. And you know what's interesting about friends and family? You know all of their flaws. You know everything. Your older brother shares the gospel with you, introduces you to church. You're like, man, you don't know how much he tormented me. Man, he's the last ambassador of the gospel. Are you kidding me? Or maybe some friend of yours who's sitting next to you right now shared the gospel with you. And you're like, are you kidding? They have yet to Venmo me back for all the money that they owe. Or your neighbor, maybe on your street, invited you to church, shared the gospel with you. Do you know that they have the worst, most ugly lawn on the entire street? I mean, how are they going to know the majestic glory and the beauty of the gospel when they can't do anything about their lawn? You see, we, we are all flawed. We're all broken. And you know that about yourself and about others. But listen, just because the messenger is flawed doesn't mean the message is flawed. God chooses shepherds as his primary mouthpieces. That's how it was for first Christmas. And that's how it is for today. So the message to you from the shepherds and the message from me today, from a broken shepherd who is glory hungry, that won't let his kids look better than he does, Radically selfish, radically sinful. It's hark. Would you listen? I, I don't know where you came from. I, some of you have been here for a long, long time. And it's been rather uninspired by Christmas. And my appeal to you is would you just hark? Would you just reset your heart? Would you set aside all the anxieties and all the things that are due, all the things that you still have yet to take care of? Would you just set that aside? Maybe even just some of your objections, some of the things that Christmas tends to highlight. Would you just set that aside and just hark? If you haven't been here for a long time, I believe God brought you. Maybe you thought it was your neighbor, your friend, your family member. Yes, but God used shepherds to announce his good news to you. And the reason why you're here is he did some convincing in your heart. And you weren't ready to hark, but I'm asking you, would you, because you're here, and if you're here, that God, as he arranged the stars, one of the things that he arranged was to call you by name and say, would you come? Would you sit? And would you listen? Will you hark? See, the message is that you could be yourself. And God shows up to you. It's not that you found God. The angel's message isn't you have to try harder. The angel's message isn't you got to do better. Angel's message isn't you got to clean up your life in order for you to come to a church like this. 
That's not the message. What did the angels bring? They brought news. And what's amazing about news is that you can't add to it. News is news. And the angels brought the best news, the good news as it calls. And the good news is this. God has been orchestrating many things, thousands, millions of things for you to be here so that you would have the opportunity to heart. And I don't know where you come from. In all of our campuses, whether you're sitting in Hayward or you're sitting at home, maybe you're sick. And that's the best you could do. You, you could just be here for this moment. But God's call to you is, would you not miss out? Would you not miss out on the life-changing message of Jesus Christ? Because he came for you. 2,000 years ago, he knew that you'd be sitting here or sitting there. And he knew that you'd be listening. And maybe you've heard the gospel message a million times. And maybe you find yourself like the shepherds, out of place, disappointed in life. And he's stressing you. Hark. I come to bring you joy. I've come to bring you eternal life. And if this side of life, life doesn't resolve itself, I promise I will resolve it in full in the next. I want to give you this life. And all you have to do is to put your trust in me. You don't have to be better. You don't have to try harder. You don't have to have better attendance in church. You just have to receive my grace. Sit under the Niagara Falls of my grace and just receive me, and I will do everything for you. And maybe perhaps this is what you need. More than any other gift in your, under your tree, this is the greatest gift. Maybe you need a re-inspiration. I pray that God will give you that. But specifically now, if you have never, ever sincerely, sincerely come to the Lord and say, I need to cross the line of faith. And this is the line to which I cross today. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So in all of our campuses, including our online campus, would you just bow your heads? Would you just bow your heads wherever you are and just close your eyes? And if you're realizing that you need to cross that line, would you just pray this with me with a sincere heart? Jesus, I'm a sinner broken and therefore I am need in need of a savior and you found me today and my heart is listening to you I believe that you died and you rose again I believe that you lived a life that I couldn't live and yet you died the death that I should have died and so with a sincere heart I receive your grace by faith and I'm overwhelmed with joy by it so thank you for adopting me as your son and as your daughter. Would you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed? And if you prayed that for the first time, just in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And here's why I'm doing this, because I believe that something happens. Something is solidified spiritually when you do something physically. And oh, how I want to see your life change and you making a mark. And you're not doing this for anybody else. You're not doing it for an audience. You're not certainly doing it for a shepherd like me. You have no reason to impress me. But you can respond to God by raising your hand. 
And so we're going to raise it together. If you sincerely, for the first time, you feel like 2023 is the day that I crossed the line in faith and the new chapter has started, I am with Christ and he is with me. If you believe that, let's do it in three. Ready? One, he loves you. Two, he brought you here. Three, raise your hand all over our campus, every single one. Would you raise it tall? Yes, I see it all over this room. And I trust that people are raising their hands in faith in Hayward, in Oakland, and wherever you are. Would you just raise them? Let me pray for you, Father, for those of us who are sincerely crossing the line in faith, that our destiny has forever changed because of the profession that we make in you. We want to say thank you for coming for us. Thank you for giving us a ear to listen. We have heard you. We have heard the good news of the gospel. We've heard how you came for me. And Lord, I am not deserving to be found, but you found me. I could not find you. So we thank you and we celebrate together as a church, all the people in all of our campuses for all the service that have raised their hand and made a profession of faith. Father, thank you for adding our numbers here in Bay Area and everywhere around the world that we are part of your family and it is only by your grace and your life and your salvation that we are saved. So we love you and we thank you. We dedicate this time. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. And let's celebrate together all that God has done for us. Hallelujah.